God, as we slow down in our homes, God, we ask that you would remind us, just even in this moment of a time of your faithfulness, maybe it was a season, maybe it was a day, maybe it was a recent, or maybe it was a long time ago, but God, we ask in this moment that you would bring to mind one memory of your faithfulness. God, something that we can hold on to today. Jesus, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Ground us in your faithfulness, God, that we may not be trapped by the lies of this world, by the deception of the enemy, but we would be grounded, God, in your goodness and your faithfulness to us. God, not in our goodness, but in yours. God, not in our faithfulness, but yours. Jesus, speak to us this morning. In the powerful and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Tony, and I have the honor and privilege of serving on staff here at Wellspring. Now, if you're just joining us, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're actually in chapter 7. And chapter 7 is kind of this pivotal moment in the book where Paul goes from sort of riffing off gossip he's gotten uh, in conversations with Chloe's people to now addressing specific conversations or specific questions that the Corinthians have sent to him to address. So last week we talked about marriage, uh, and this week we're going to talk about singleness. Now, the same caveat I made last week I want to make again. Remember, this letter is not read like at a marriage retreat or a singles retreat right? This is read to the whole church. So just as I encourage uh, singles last week, don't check out, you know, when we're talking about marriage. For married folks, don't check out when we're talking about singles and singleness and questions around singleness because we are one body and we're trying to help each other seek Jesus and live into the fullness of the kingdom, right? We're supposed to help each other in that process. So don't check out. Now, the core of the question, I think, coming from the Corinthians to Paul is something like this. Should I get married? And why? Now, for us, you know, I think we get that question on one level. We think, "Ah, I'm single. I'm either a widow or maybe I'm divorced. Uh, Maybe I've never gotten married. And you're sort of wondering, should I? Should I not? What, What is the best way to seek Jesus? Now, for us, I think that feels like kind of this straightforward question. But the truth is, in the first century... Right When Paul mailed this letter 2,000 years ago to ask the question of whether I should be single or not was an incredibly radical question. Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, right? So the Roman emperor who oversees Corinth actually passed a law that fined widows who did not marry within two years. Think about that. You're a widow. Your, your spouse has just passed. All right, mark your calendar with that big red X because two years from now, like, you got to get married by that date. Can you imagine that? Right, children were your retirement plan. There were no Roth IRAs, right? There was no Social Security. Your children were there, right? You got married so your kids would take care of you when you aged. That's how it was done for thousands of years, 
Right, so this idea that Corinthians in this church would ask a question about should we be single was incredibly radical. And the same was true in Jewish culture and history. It was so taken for granted that young Jewish boys and men would get married that they did not have a word for bachelor in Hebrew. Some rabbis even taught that an unmarried man when he got to 20, right, and they married earlier, right, got to 20, they actually said, hmm, that might be a sin. The pressure from family, from synagogue and culture to marry was enormous. Now, I've been chatting with a few of my single friends this last week, trying to get their take on kind of even how the church approaches singleness today. One friend told me that she, no one ever told her this directly, but she kind of felt this subterranean pressure in church that life didn't really begin until after you got married. She told me this, this is a quote, I wasn't given the tools or the understanding that being single, whether by choice or by circumstance, could truly be an enjoyable way to live. For the most part, being single was seen as a situation in which people end up not one that is chosen. Another friend of mine, a guy, he said that as he got into his 40s and 50s, when he would go to social gatherings, people wouldn't say this outright, but you could just feel it in the room that people would wonder as he walked in, right, unmarried, that he kind of this question under the surface of, what's wrong with you? And this was in the church. And yet, when you actually look at the New Testament, we cannot escape the obvious abundantly obvious fact that Jesus was single. Jesus never married. The Son of God never decided to get married. And he redefined family and faithfulness. One day, uh, his brothers and sisters are coming up to him, and the people outside are like, hey, your brothers and sisters are there. And he says, actually, you guys, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister. In Matthew twenty two thirty, 30, Jesus even teaches that everyone will be single when God comes in the fullness of his kingdom. He says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Right? And it's because of teachings like this. It's because of Jesus being single and Paul being single that the early church was actually the first movement in history to present singleness as a viable way to flourishing. In fact, for the first 1,500 years of church life, singleness was considered the best way to follow Jesus. That shifted at the Reformation, right? And we've kind of, we're living more in that arc you know, as a Protestant church. But it, so it shouldn't surprise us that in Corinth, some people are asking, hey, Paul, what do you think about us being single? Right? It was a radical idea in the culture, but it wasn't a radical idea in the church. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul offers his perspective. He offers a few questions, a few takes and approaches to how do you discern whether you are called to be single or whether you should remain single in this season of life? In fact, there's six really solid questions that he asks. Now, just so you know, I'll be using a couple different resources in this message. One is from, well, commentaries, but in addition to that, one is uh, Seven Myths About Singleness by this guy named Sam Albury. 
Uh, there's a chapter from John Mark Comer on love, in Loveology. And then there's a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Schizero. And I'll be using a chapter from that book too to kind of shape these questions and how we're going through 1 Corinthians 7. All right, so there's six questions that Paul puts to the single folks, right? Folks that are widows, folks that have never been married, right? And he says six different questions, and one of them is this. Are you called and gifted to serve as a single person, to serve God as a single person? Paul writes in verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is my rule in all of the churches. Right? God, Paul has this deep conviction that God has an invitation and a call for people. Right? It might not be the life that we imagine, but it is the life that God has imagined for us. Sam Albury in Seven Myths About Singleness writes, He is the creator who made you and he knows you. He is the one who orders all things and does so for your good. If we balk at the idea of singleness, it is not because God has not understood us, but because we have not understood Him. Right? God wants us to flourish. He wants our good. And sometimes He calls us into the married life. Sometimes He calls us into singleness. But one thing that's really important to understand here at the very beginning is that when it comes to calling, every Christian has the exact same primary calling. We are called to Jesus, by Jesus, and for Jesus. Right? Our first call, every single person, right, is to love Jesus with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we do this within secondary callings as single or married people, right? So for myself, right, I am called to love Jesus with my whole heart. And, right, as a secondary calling, I am called to be a pastor or vocational ministry. And I'm doing that third as a married person, right? And you, Right, as you're at home, you're wondering, right, what about me? Well, you are called to love Jesus just in the same way I am. Now, you will have a secondary calling somewhere. Maybe it's in ministry. Maybe it's at Home Depot. Maybe it's uh, at, the, you know, at the Monterey Sports Center. Wherever it is, God has a call, a way for you to live out your calling, and it might be as a single person or as a married person. Right? Marriage is not the default position of the church. God calls us to be married or He calls us to be single. Now, in church history, there's basically two ways that a calling to singleness works out. There are people who feel called to lifelong celibacy, right? In our culture, this is most obvious in like the Catholic church, right? You have priests, you have, you have nuns, right? You have monks. And, and I know actually a lot of Protestants who are called in this way to a lifelong commitment to celibacy and commitment to Jesus, but it's also true, right, that's one track. Another track is, right, almost everyone, well, actually everyone, for some season of life, right, is called to be single and express, right, their sexuality, right, primarily as abstinence, as they are committed to Jesus. 
Now, maybe you want to get married. Maybe you don't. But every single human being right, has a season of singleness. Right? None of us are born married. Right? But a lifelong commitment to singleness is a little bit different. And it's because of this, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul brings up the idea of gifting. He says in verse 7, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Paul's saying, hey, I know I am single, but I'm, and I'm gifted to be single. Maybe you're not, and that's okay. But Paul clearly in 1 Corinthians 7 has a bias Right? In verse 38, he says, He who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage, he will do even better. Right? You don't hear that in a church very often, do you? He will do even better. In verse 40, In my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. Basically, he's saying, Paul, to this woman who's in Corinth, he's like, hey, I think you will actually be happier if you stay single. Right, Paul brings up this idea of gifting and singleness. Now, often we think of gifting in terms of like, oh, this person's a good preacher. They're gifted at that. Or this person's gifted at mercy. And then we think those people working out their contributions in the kingdom in terms of that gifting, right? And Paul's saying singleness functions the same way. You're gifted by God to be single, and then you work out that singleness in service of the kingdom. Consider Paul as a case study. He's traveling everywhere. Why? Because God has called him to be an apostle. That's his gifting. And then he works out that gifting, planting churches around the Mediterranean. He's called in one direction and he goes. He's getting beaten up. He's getting imprisoned. I just want you to imagine if Paul was married. Like imagine, right? How often we see his family? Hey guys, you know, sorry, I got detained again. I'm in prison. I won't be home for dinner. Like, imagine that. Ori would have been constantly putting them at risk. There's this one story when Paul's in Damascus and he has to get lowered by a basket to escape the crowd that's trying to attack him. Like, imagine now he has his family there. He's like, all right, Paul Jr., you go first. Get in the basket. Right, given Paul's calling, God gifts him to be single so that he can do the ministry that God has given him to do. Married couples, in a profound way, bear witness to the depth of God's love, right? Given that their focus is loving one person exclusively, permanently, and intimately. Singles, though, they bear witness to the breadth of God's love in a way that married people cannot. Again, Sam Albury, who is a single man, he writes this, as a single person, there is a depth of intimacy my married friends enjoy that I am not able to experience, to share pretty much all of life with one other person. But it's not as simple to say that I have less intimacy in my life as a result. Singleness gives me a capacity for a range of friendships that I would not be able to sustain if I were married. He continues, while I might not know the unique depth of the intimacy a married friend enjoys, there is a unique breadth of intimacy available to singles that married friends would not be able to experience. 
right? Because single people are not limited to one vow with one person, they have way more freedom to express the love of Christ to a broad range of people. John Mark Comer, in his book, Loveology, writes, for followers of Jesus, the point of singleness isn't, isn't freedom from responsibility. It's freedom for more responsibility. For Paul, right, this gave him freedom to be an apostle throughout the whole Mediterranean world, sharing the gospel. Right? And the question becomes then for us, like, are you called, right? If you are single today, are you called by Jesus to be single? Are you called and gifted or not? Now, another way into this question, and this is sort of like a, basically the same question, but in a different, said in a different way. Question two is this, will marriage help you or hold you back from God's calling on your life? Right? Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 7, that married people and single people have different types of trouble. He writes in verse 28, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that, he says to them. And then he says in verses 32 to 35, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And I say to you, this too, I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Right, so Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's like, his main hope is to help them recognize that marriage might actually hold them back from fulfilling their calling. He's like, hey, I get it. Married people and single people, they all have stress. The question isn't a stress-free life. But unmarried people, Paul writes, are able to exclusively focus on how to please the Lord. I was trying to think of like an example from life. I remember in my 20s, one night, God kind of calls me. He's like, all right, Tony, just get rid of your stuff. Like, get rid of your stuff and go live with these homeless youth in San Jose. And I was within like 24 hours, basically able to reorder my entire life and go live with these homeless youth. Right? As a single person, I could do that. Now, getting married... Jeannie and I have made some really hard decisions. We've done some stuff that was kind of outside the norm, right? We moved as a married couple into a really low-income neighborhood that wasn't the safest place, right, in the world. But we did it in order to be in solidarity with marginalized people in downtown San Jose, right? We did that. And even once we had kids, right, we relocated our entire life to do this church plant here. And we didn't know whether this thing was going to blow up in two weeks or whether it was going to work. But I'll tell you this, right, in both those, we took risk. I took risks, but I will tell you, the decision-making process, being married and having kids, is way more complex and slow. Can you do risky things? Can you take, make like crazy risks for God? Yes, in either way of life, absolutely. But the process is much harder when you are married, and especially if you're married and have children. Right now you're having to consider, well, how's my son going to respond to this? How's my daughter going to respond to this? How's my wife going to respond? Like, it's like, holy smokes, there's all kinds of moving pieces now. 
I have a good friend, his name's David, and he leads a ministry up in Silicon Valley uh, on, kind of focused on relational wholeness. And part of his ministry is to people who struggle with what to do with their sexual desire. Now, David, who's a committed celibate, he offers this profound witness to these men, right, that struggle with addictions, who struggle with what to do with their sexual desire. As a committed single and celibate, he offers a profound witness to them about the sufficiency of Jesus. He offers this profound model of devotion to Jesus in a world that makes sex ultimate. We live in a world and a culture where your personhood, like if you are a fulfilled person, is connected to your sexual expression so much of the time. Sam Albury, who's riffing off of this, writes, Singleness is a way of declaring to a world obsessed with sexual and romantic intimacy that these things are not ultimate, and that in Christ we possess what is. That what is ultimately ultimate, right, is Jesus. And single people have this profound ability to witness to the sufficiency of Jesus in a world that is obsessed with romantic relational fulfillment. Right, we live in this culture where sexuality and identity are deeply intertwined. Right? But in the church, right, our identity is not grounded in our sexual attraction, our gender identity, or our ability or inability right, to get married. It's grounded in Jesus. Right? And the single life proclaims this in a profound and powerful way. David, my friend in Silicon Valley, right, his singleness is a profound witness to the people he ministers to. It actually helps him fulfill his calling. Paul asks the Corinthians, and he asks us, so guys, is marriage or singleness going to help you fulfill your calling? Or is it going to get in the way? Is it going to hold you back? Too often, I think, we rush into marriage without even thinking about whether God has actually called us to be married. And I realize you can't control Like, you can't control who you fall in love uh, with, and you can't control when it happens. But if you can, it's better, right, if you're in a significant relationship right now or not, consider how has God shaped and formed you? What is the impact God wants you to make in the world before you rush into a relationship? God has shaped and formed you. He wants good things for you, whether you are married or whether you are single. But he has also a calling and invitation on your life. And I think there is a a wrestling, a consideration to how has God called and gifted you to live into that calling, that vocation. Now, question three is a little bit different, right? The first two have to do with gifting and calling, right? Are you called and gifted? And then whether singleness or married life will sort of hold you back or help you fulfill that calling. Now, this other one is a little more, this question, question three is a little more about how will you handle celibacy? And I think it's helpful because sometimes we don't know what we're called to do, and it can feel overwhelming and stressful, like, ah, I don't know what I am called to do. So should I get married? You know, it's like, well, 
This question actually helps you to figure out another way into that question. So Paul asks in 1 Corinthians 7, right, this third question, do you burn? He writes to the unmarried, he says this, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, I think this hits the ground a few ways in Corinth. First, right, there's folks in Corinth that are engaged. They're betrothed, right? They're in the process of getting married. And Paul's like super practical to them. He's like, hey, guys, if you can't keep your hands off one another, you should probably just get married. Like, stop pushing it out four or five years. Like, just get married. Right? Maybe singleness isn't your gift. Like, that's okay. Just get married. Second, he's writing to Corinthians who do, are not in a relationship, but they feel overwhelmed by sexual desire. Right? In Corinth, it's this common thing for these people, right, to say, oh, I'm going to be single, because single and holiness seem to go hand in hand in Corinth, right, in their minds. So then they think, I'm just going to be single. But then they, the next day, they're going to visit prostitutes. And Paul's like, hey, guys, if you can't, like, keep, you know, if you, if you can't keep visiting prostitutes, you maybe should consider that singleness isn't your gift. And maybe you should take that off the table and just say, all right, like, maybe you should consider marriage because that is an appropriate place for sexual expression. Now, since college, I would say I've met a few people that I think are, like, gifted. They don't burn in the same way that I feel like I have, right? They didn't struggle in the same ways I did. And looking back, I think it's pretty clear they were gifted differently than I was. Now, though, to be clear, I want to say this. It's not like my gifted friends were able to, like, live in a cave with no, no, like, relational connections. They're not gifted because they don't like people. Humans are made for relationship. But what those relationships look like can be really different, right? You can have a deep, meaningful, intimate connection to a community of people without being married, so Paul asked the Corinthians, thinking about singleness, you know, do you guys burn? Is that what's going on for you? Now the fourth question is another approach into this question of, should I remain single or should I get married? Paul asked, the fourth question is this, like, is now the right time? Now in Corinth, while it's a little tricky to reconstruct exactly what's happening, the leading theory is that there is a food shortage in Corinth because there are these famines, these major famines in southern Greece at the time. Now in the ancient world, as I think today, right, when there are famines, there's tons of social unrest. I mean, think about just even in COVID when toilet paper production decreased, like how crazy people got. Now imagine you really couldn't get food, right? It creates social unrest. And Paul's saying, hey guys, in times of great instability, maybe it's not a great time to get involved with someone. Paul writes in verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. 
And if a betrothed woman marries, she hasn't sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. Right? Paul wants to spare them this added hardship. Now again, we don't always get to choose when we fall in love with people or who. But I think Paul is saying like, hey, is now the right time to get married? I know my wife, she took um, some time off of dating. Uh, I actually asked her to write about it, and this is, this is what she wrote. My senior year of college, I had a mentor in my life suggest I take a year dating fast. I thought she was nuts. But she felt the moving of the Spirit but felt the moving of the Spirit and chose to take a step away from dating for a full year. At the time, it felt tremendously risky. Yet what I didn't know was how God would use that time for profound emotional healing. He used that time to show me what it might mean for me to date a person of quality, something I previously had doubted I was worthy of. If someone had told me that, that my one-year fast would turn into five, I would never have agreed. God's creative in that way. And in those years, God showed me what a quality partner would look like. I began to pray that I wouldn't date anyone till it was the last time that I dated. God answered that prayer when I met Tony, right? The last man I have dated. I think Jeannie's experience was, right, she entered this season where it was clear, like, I need to take a break from dating. I need to take a break from relationships so that I can focus on Jesus and be in a season of healing. And I guess if you're single today, I would ask you, what is this season for you? What is it like? Right, what's, your, what's your work like? What's your family like? Is this a season for healing? What's going on for you? Right, as you think about Paul's words, what about timing? Right? Is, this, is this maybe a season to lean in? Is God inviting you to really consider and lean into your singleness? Now, as we lean into questions five and six, uh, they shift a little bit about up this point, at this point because... So far, we've focused on how do you discern whether you're called to be single, and now five and six sort of focus more on how do you know whether this is a good person to marry? Hence, question five. Can you see yourself with him or her for the rest of your life? Right, so as Paul is counseling the Corinthian singles, Paul reminds the Corinthians, right, a wife is bound to her husband as long as as he lives. Right, so this isn't as long as I'm happy. This, is, this isn't as long as I have a prenup. Right? Marriage is for as long as you both shall live. Right? That could be a really, really long time. 50, 60 years if all goes well. Right? This is way past the in, in love intoxication stage when you really have chores to get done. At least my experience, right, in our culture, we often jump to the announcement stage of like, we're getting married, I want to announce it to everyone on social media and family. But when you look at the New Testament, it seems like marriage should be more of, less an announcement and more a discernment process. 
right? Rather than just telling people where you landed, inviting people into the process so they can speak into your blind spots. There's at least two suggestions I would make if you are in a relationship right now and you are considering getting married. One, I would say this. Have you done pre-engagement counseling? I'm not saying premarital. I mean pre-engagement. Because once you're, once you're engaged, now you're focused on the wedding. What about pre-engagement? You don't have a wedding to plan. Now you're, there's no ring out there. You're just like, all right, let's talk to someone. And I would encourage two things, pre-engagement counseling. One, have a licensed therapist that you're actually talking with that's familiar about how to do this. And two, I would have that person talk to a significant spiritual leader in your life. Maybe it's someone on our staff here at Wellspring or someone you really respect and admire that has been through this process before and give them permission to talk to each other. So now the therapist is talking with the spiritual leader and that those people can both give you input onto whether this is a good idea. Right? This is about expanding the circle of discernment because this is a lifelong commitment. Right? This isn't deciding, you know, like what bag of chips to get at the corner store. This is a big deal. Expand the circle of discernment. Second, I would suggest to you, find a seasoned Christian couple whose marriage you admire and ask them to meet with you, and not just once, for like a year at least. And I would talk about all the super uncomfortable stuff that you never talk about often until after you get married. Stuff like money and sex and all those other questions you have. Talk about your calling. Talk about your hopes. Talk about your dreams. And see if they think, man, you guys seem really ready to get married. Or if maybe they say, yeah, I wouldn't do it. Or I would really lean into these questions. The point of this, right? Now you have a therapist, you have a spiritual leader in your life, and now you have a couple that are all helping you see the real contours of your marriage. Right, you're going to spend the rest of your life together, and Paul's like, hey guys, remember, this is a big commitment. So if you're in a relationship right now, you are single, I would encourage you, make sure to do those things. Expand the circle of discernment so that you get as many eyes on your relationship as possible because it is a long and big commitment. Now the last question uh, Paul says also to people maybe that are considering getting married, he says this, does he or she, quote, belong to the Lord. Paul writes, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Verse 39. Now Paul's really clear here. He's like, hey guys, if you want to get married, marry someone who is also a follower of Jesus. Now the truth is, I think this is not hard to understand, but I think it is hard to swallow, right? Because if you love someone, it's hard to now choose between, all right, do I choose this person I'm in love with or do I choose to follow Jesus? And the thing is, this issue keeps coming up in Corinth. Paul writes again in the next letter, right? Do not be yoked with unbelievers. Now, yoked together is a farming analogy. And essentially, he's saying, all right, so if you're going to farm a field, don't put a camel and a horse together, right? Don't put a dog and a donkey. Don't put a cow and a caterpillar together, right? They're not going to go at the same speed with the same power. Eventually, they're going to go in different directions. 
right? And if we're going to seriously think about the first two questions about calling and gifting, right? God has something more for our lives, right? Then if who we marry really matters, right? And if that person is not in love with Jesus, do not, doesn't want to follow Jesus, and you feel like you want to follow and they want to go this way, like, that's going to create all kinds of tension. Paul simply says, like, hey guys, this is not a good idea. And I think Paul knows this is a hard word. Right? Having to choose between your lover and your God can be gut-wrenching. I think this is one of the reasons Paul then quotes from the prophet Isaiah a few verses later. He says this, come out from them and be separate. And then he quotes him again, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. He's saying to them, hey, Corinthians, if you're in this relationship, hey, I want you to be separate. But I want you to also know, because I know this is going to be super hard for you. He says, I will be, God will be a father to you. God will love you in ways that this person could never love you. And remember, Paul is single, right? Paul knows that true happiness is rooted in God. Paul knows that the love of God is better than anything. I will be a father to you, God says. All right, so those are six different perspectives, questions, nuances that Paul offers to the single folks in Corinth. Right, some of them are about calling. Some of them are about sexual desire. Some of them are about who to marry. And I guess if you're single and you're listening this morning, I just wonder, as you listen, what question stands out to you? Are there six different questions there? Are there one or two that you're like, wow, I either like that question or I really dislike that question. You know, maybe one of those questions you just felt like, I wish Tony would just stop talking right now. Like it just made you uncomfortable. I would encourage you. At that point, either maybe you felt the most alignment with what I was saying or the most chafing, like stop talking about that. I would encourage you talk to someone about it. Because I think that is going to be the place where God is going to want to work. It's going to be in that place probably of the greatest resistance or the greatest alignment. What does God have to say? Great, because it's not about me. It's about what does God have to say to you in that place. And I would encourage you, expand your circle of discernment because the truth is, it's really hard to discern alone. I have a mentor who says, you never get to clarity alone. And I think that's just so true. I also want to just extend the opportunity, if you are single and those first two questions are about sort of calling and gifting and you're just like, oh my gosh, I have no idea where to even start. Like that just feels overwhelming to me. I would encourage you, reach out to me. I, I have some different tools we can go through together on how to begin the process of discerning how God has shaped and formed you for your calling. So reach out to me. I would love to do that. Or if you know someone else who would be a good coach for you in this season, reach out to them. You can find my email. It's on the website or Aaron can post it uh, on the screen, but it's just Tony at Wellspring Church PG. Org, email me. I would love to connect with you about how to discern calling because calling is integrally connected to singleness and marriage and how you live out that calling. 
Now, I also want to say a word to married folks uh, before I invite the worship team up. I, I sort of can imagine this message landing in two ways for married couples. Married couples. My guess is some married couples are hearing this message and they're like, I really should have shot, thought about some of those questions before I got married. And now you're thinking, uh, should I bail? Like, maybe I shouldn't have married this person. Like, should I bail? Now, I want you to, if you didn't listen to last week's message, and that's your re- response as a married person, I would invite you, listen to last week's message. Because Paul is very clear. In that position, do not bail. And if you want help in how to sort of navigate that process, you know, we're here for you. I also want to say, uh, just make a little plug, right? At 2 p.m. today, we have a Marriage Matters seminar that you can still sign up for and attend. I would invite you to check that out. Now, if you're feeling awesome about your marriage, I just want you to, I want to also say, I think married people often have this tendency to sort of like just meet with other marrieds and like do this like marriage hangout thing. And that's cool on one level, but I also want to say make room for singles in your life. It is healthy for everyone, for singles and marrieds, right, when we live together as a community. So if you are a married couple, I want to challenge you, make room for single people in your life. We all need relationships. We all need community and connection. And I want to invite the worship team up here um, as we lean into one last song for worship. And as I come up, I just want to take a second just to pray that God would speak to you wherever you are at this morning. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would convict, you would speak clearly, especially to my single brothers and sisters. God, that you would clearly connect them to one of those questions. Maybe it's a point of challenge or a point of alignment, God, that they would feel in the depth of their being an invitation from you to lean in to your word in that area of their life. And God, I do ask also that you would just clarify for them, God. God, whether this is a season where they're invited to be single, or maybe this is a lifelong commitment that you are inviting them into. God, that will shape and orient them for the rest of their life. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would convict and reveal and speak. God, we pray for our whole body. God, that we would be one body, married and single that are for you, Jesus, by you and with you in all that we do. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us this day. Tony has given me the uh, go-ahead to give a little bit of encouraging words to you guys. Uh, As a single woman, a single Christian woman who grew up in church, um, I was raised to really kind of look forward to being married and finding my spouse. And um, I just want to encourage you this morning. I remember when I was uh, late teens, early 20s, I had written a journal. I journaled very frequently when I was younger. And um, one day... I had either heard a sermon or the Holy Spirit had impressed upon me to make a list of things that I wanted to have in a future spouse. And 
Those things included stuff like wanting to spend time with me and uh, being faithful to me, never leaving me, um, loving me unconditionally, um, <laughs> encouraging my gifts, but knowing when to, you know, humble me. Uh, and as I was looking, I'd written this long, long list, and I thought, wow, my standards are really high. Uh, and as I was finishing the list, I was going back over it, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me very distinctly, and he said, this is who Jesus is to you. This is who Jesus is to you, Heather. And I, I was broken. Like something inside of me that I had been searching for my whole life had just kind of just broken. And while that happened, you know, my, my singleness took twists and turns throughout my 20s and my, my 30s. Um, I don't know, honestly, whether I'm called to be single or I'm called to be coupled. I don't know what God has for me, but what I do know is that first and foremost, my identity is in Christ. First and foremost, if I'm about my father's business and I'm seeking him and I'm chasing him, I'm not running from his goodness, I'm turning around and I'm facing it, he will provide for me the things that he wants. He has a blueprint for my life and that can either include a spouse or not. But I know that if my fullness is in a good, good father. My fullness and identity is in a good, good father that I won't miss out on anything. So I just want to encourage you this morning. Be encouraged. If you're single and you've got married friends, be a champion of your friends' marriages. Support them. Lift them in prayer. You're not missing out on anything. If anything else, as Pastor so elo eloquently put it this morning, there's some really good things about being single, so don't despise where you're at. Please be encouraged. Ladies, ladies, relax. <laughs> Enjoy your life. Enjoy what God has given you. I, I can't stress enough what freedom and liberty there is in being so satisfied by a good father. So we're going to sing about this good father, and Jesus is a lover of our souls. Um, I just encourage you again you want to stand up and sing in your living room with your family, single, sing by yourself, but face him. He's a good father. He's everything we would ever need. So let's sing together.